0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 3, 3, 4. And as long as you're doing something that isn't going to fulfill your purpose, you're never going to be as happy as you can be. And in some cases, like I was, you're going to be bitterly unhappy. It has nothing to do with the externals around you as much as it has to do with are you feeding that thing that needs to be fed inside you.
1: Are you ready for It Factors, Success Stories, <laughs> Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day to day task that only you know how to do? If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone, nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants. Owner.com. And if you go to RestaurantOwner.com slash Unstoppable, you will get a 10-day pass for only $1. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chuck Samuelson. Chuck, are you feeling unstoppable today, my man? Always, every Monday. <laughs> yes, that is what we like to hear. So, hailing from Montana, Chuck Samuelson is a high school dropout turned award-winning chef and tour. In 2004, he sold his restaurant, the Bird Rock Cafe, to head food services for Stone Brewery. Today, he is the founder and president of Kitchens for Good, a social enterprise that is designed to break the cycle of food waste Poverty and hunger in the San Diego community. I can't wait to share your story. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away, Chuck.
0: One of my favorites, and it goes like this. Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood,
1: carry water. Okay. Dive into that. Why does that resonate with you? And what what does it mean to you?
0: It means that you have to do the little things necessary to be successful every single day. And that there's no, you know, arrival moment where you no longer have to do the work. Um, Success is, is about doing the work to get there. Continued success is about continuing to do the work to stay there. And I think that so many people look at success as a destination, and it's really not. It's Mm -hmm. a journey. Mm -hmm. And if you focus on the journey and do the little things right, um, the success will happen on its own time and in its own way. And and I think that too many people look at, you know, getting the thing or being the 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 one chosen or doing that kind of thing as success and, and, and I really don't look at it that way.
1: I love it. And I feel like you're a perfect example of that because you've had your success uh or what society would label as success, you know, having a, su- a successful restaurant, uh, being at the top of your game. And then you sold that, uh, you, you were for stone. Now you're doing something that's really serving, uh, I think your soul. And, um, I'm, I'm sure you're probably much happier now than you've ever been. And I'm kind of, kind of making an assumption, but I think that's this whole idea is really going to come out, uh, in the interview. And, um, I mean, I give listeners like an aerial view of who you are, but why don't you just, Briefly, tell us a little bit more about what you're up to right now, uh, and then we'll kind of uh, tell how you got to this point.
0: Yeah, so so Kitchens for Good um, is, our, is our 501c3 nonprofit. Um, I started it about four years ago, and a little over a year and a half ago, we got our first kitchen, and we started um, really our operations then. And so we do a lot of things out of that kitchen. And for me, kitchens, and, and the S on Kitchens for Good is very intentional. We, we intend to have multiple kitchens. Um, for me, kitchens have always been these sort of generators of whatever you wanted them to be. You could be generating good food or you could be generating jobs or you could be generating uh, profits, you know, for yourself or just all these things that could come out of a kitchen. And so I always had this sense that kitchens were economic drivers of the communities mm-hmm. that they were in, too. They were gathering places and they created jobs and they did all these wonderful things um, out of a kitchen. And so what we do at Kitchens for Good is is um, we do meals for the hungry. And that was the, the original idea behind Kitchens for Good was that we would take um, surplus food in the economy, you know, um, all the food or, or much of the food that gets wasted in hospitality or excess production from farmers or the what people love to talk about these days, the ugly produce that no one wants to buy. Okay. And we knew that we could take that, excess food in whatever form it was and make it shelf stable. So the problem with excess food a lot of the time is is that you can't get it to the people who need it before it goes bad. Okay. And so the idea was that with a kitchen, we could make it shelf stable. We could turn bruised apples into apple jelly. We could turn um, uh, bruised apples into apple pie. We could mm-hmm. um, make meals out of product that, that was at its the end of its shelf life, but then freeze it and add unlimited shelf life mm-hmm. to it. And so the whole idea was to to feed the hungry.
1: Beautiful. And, so okay, keep keep going.
0: Well, somewhere along the way of, of of researching this, so so the day I left Stone Brewing Company and started working on kitchens for good, um, I realized that I didn't know enough about about feeding hungry people, and so I started talking to really smart people in the hunger relief um, community, who who led me to believe fairly quickly that. Um, Lack of food is not an issue. We have more than enough food in America to feed everybody. You can argue about whether it's a, it's a transportation or distribution problem, but if you really dive into the issue, what it becomes is it becomes an income and wage inequality issue. The fact that in America, for all intents and purposes, the minimum wage hasn't gone up in over 30 years. Mm. Um, those kind of things have created this income inequality and have pushed people into poverty. And until we start getting them uh, giving them or allowing them to get on their own control of their own economic destiny. We're not going to solve hunger because the root cause of hunger is poverty. And so what we realized very quickly on was that we needed to provide jobs and job training. And I love out it. of that came our culinary job training program.
1: Awesome. And I think we're going to, I know we're going to dive deeper into what you're doing now with food for good. Uh, wait, did I get that backwards? Sorry. Uh No. Kitchen's for good. Kitchen's for, Kitchens for good. Thank you. Uh, but first, I want to learn about what got you into the industry and really paint the picture uh, on your career. So uh, how did you get into the industry and where did it all start for you?
0: Pretty simple. I started out as a dishwasher in a little mom and pop cafe um, on, in Wolf Point, Montana, on an Indian reservation where I was born and raised. Okay. And my mom had been a waitress there. My older sister had been a waitress there. My older brother had washed dishes there. And so it kind of was my turn um, to become a dishwasher there. And I just really took to it. I loved the work in the kitchen. I loved learning how to cook. Everything about it just sort of fit.
1: Okay. And uh, you decided to drop out of high school. So uh, were you at that point, uh, did you just decide that hospitality was going to be your jam and that's what you want to focus on? Like why, why? Why drop out of high school?
0: At that time, um, you know, I was 17, um, I was in my senior year and I was working full time, 50 hours a week. Okay. And it was clear to me that, that college was not going to be an option for me. Why? Um, financially I was on my own. Okay. I'd been for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, I had other obligations. I was helping my younger brother go to college. And so for me, the income that I was getting was more important than the education that I really wasn't mm. being as I was working so much, I was missing a lot of class anyway.
1: Okay. So at this time, um, did you know that you were going to be making a career out of hospitality and working in kitchens or was it just a for now job?
0: No, I think I knew at that point I was working at at that time. I was in, um, I was in Canada. I'd moved North, um, to visit my mom, stayed there, and was working in a large hotel um, while trying to go to high school. And uh, clearly the advancement opportunities at the hotel um, at that time outweighed the potential for me uh, to finish high school. And so it, wasn't, it, it really kind of wasn't a decision, well, I'm done with high school, I'm, I'm dropping out. It was really more about the demands of my job were so great that I was missing class in the morning because I'd be working 12-hour shifts you know, five and six days a week. And it just became uh, a a point where where high school just didn't make sense.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like you had a lot of extra responsibility, more than your typical uh, 17-year-old too. Uh, So I'm sure, you know, just just having uh, the selflessness really to put others uh, before yourself, I think is just really uh, an impressive thing. And uh, at what point did you really know, uh, that this was going to be your career and that you were going to like really take it to the next level. Like, is there a moment that you can reflect on where you just knew that it was going to be the rest of your life?
0: Well, I remember that same hotel we were working in. And so I'm now 18 years old okay. and, and and sometimes late at night when it's slow, you know, cooks are talking and they're talking about their dreams and, and what they want to want to be. And so a lot of the conversation revolves around what your career is going to look like. And it, and it, those times I always talked about the restaurant that i would, would want to own and and we all did mm-hmm. all of us did, so everybody I knew back then you know talked about the place that they wanted to have um, of their own someday, and so I think that um, it, there wasn't a light bulb um, coming on kind of moment as more of it was this is what I do, you know i'm a cook this is the, and so there's a logical progression if i'm going to be successful that I will one day be Uh, an executive chef or a restaurant owner or something like that. And so I think that's kind of the path that you look at.
1: Okay. And this is when you were 18 years old, approximately. Yeah. Okay. And did you like really set out a path for yourself? Uh, Did you hit goals or milestones that you were going to hit or like, were you being intentional at, at all with the jobs you were taking and the things you were doing?
0: Well, on a very limited and short and sort of short timeline. Absolutely. Okay. So for for a lot of years early on in my career, um, what I did was was what I think a lot of cooks and chefs do, is I would work in, in a particular location for a year, get my vacation, whatever that was a week ago, and then use that vacation both to, to take some time off, but also look for a new job and a new kitchen where I could lo- learn more. And so you always want to be progressing, and, and so part of the, the thing about it, about progressing in the hospitality industry is if you're willing to change jobs, travel, move, um, you can advance a lot, a lot faster. Okay. And so that, that was the intention part of it was that I would set out to learn as much as I could in every, in every job. And when I felt I'd done that and I'd, I'd, you know, risen as high as I could in that, in that particular location, then look for something new.
1: So, when you were taking these jobs, like what would cause you to take a certain job like what things were you looking for to be determining factors in the the jobs you took?
0: A lot of it had to do with the reputation of the new location oh, okay so you always want to go you always want to upgrade so if you're working in in a hotel and and just doing general cooking duties, um, then you want to get into the fine dining room in the hotel mm. and when you're in the fine dining room in the hotel, then um, one of the jobs that I looked at taking was um, was uh, the same level of cooking, but in a much higher quality restaurant with a better reputation. Um, I ended up not taking that job, but I got a, a a sous chef position, a higher paid and a more responsibility position in a different hotel. And so you just, you know, you trade in one set of problems for a better set of problems.
1: And why does the uh, reputation of the restaurant matter so much? Or why did it matter so much to you?
0: Um, well, if the food is better, then what you're going to learn is, is you're going to learn about better food from someone who has higher skill sets. Okay. And so I always wanted to, to find people with more skills who could teach me more. Mm,
1: I love it. So I mean, just a, the big thing I'm picking up right now is just the power of being intentional. I feel like so many people today, uh, young people, young professionals are so reactive with the work they, they take. They they just take any job and they have these dreams and they don't do anything to work towards those dreams to get the skills to to grow personally and professionally and it sounds like you were constantly striving to get that new skill to get that new connection uh and to work towards something uh, and you had that dream early on taking you know you, you said just talking about what your dream restaurant would be so um w- at what point did you start really going after that dream and is the restaurant you opened a, a, a pick an image of that dream you originally had there's a lot of questions. Yeah, my first restaurant <laughs>
0: absolutely was. So, yeah, there's no question. My first restaurant was absolutely, you know, a, a sort of an expression of of what I wanted to do in my food and my cuisine. And, you know, chefs are are, are arrogant bastards, and they all <laughs> tend to think that, uh, or many of them tend to think that, that what they do is the best or they know the best. Um, and I'm sort of oversimplifying there. Um, but that's the way chefs used to be a lot. They were always the best. And so I think that, um, for a lot of chefs in particular, when I was younger, I thought I knew better and I set out to prove that I knew better by opening a restaurant and showing people that, that my food was better and my ideas were better.
1: Okay. And, um, talk to me or take us through that process of opening your first restaurant when you made the commitment and you really started saying like, this is, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And like, uh, take us through how you made it happen.
0: Well part of it is, is is part of the reason I had to open a restaurant was because I didn't do well at that time um, working on teams and working for other people. I was far too independent and uh, to to be to be comfortable working for a, for someone else. And so until I got that out of my system, I, I, I had a lot to learn still. And so um, opening a restaurant is is at one and the same time, really simple. And really, really complicated. And the simple part of it is, you just need to find a location and determine what kind of food you, you're going to you're going to offer, and then hire your staff and go through the regulatory process and do all the the million and one detailed things to to actually get your place open. Um, so that's fairly straightforward. You have these steps to get to. The complicated part of it is is then. Um, What I learned was that I went from from having one or two bosses and really not enjoying that to every single person who walked in the door was now effectively my boss. Um, Because if I didn't convince them to come back, if I didn't please them, then uh, the restaurant was going to fail. And so that to me was a fairly, you know, important lesson early on um, that as much control as I thought I was giving, I was giving up control also um, to other people. And so, um, but I'm really proud of the first restaurant I did. I really stuck to my guns in terms of what we did in terms of our cuisine. And, um, I had a good successful run there.
1: Okay. A long time. And what year was it when you opened this first restaurant? 94. Okay. So was that the same restaurant that was closed in 2004?
0: Yeah. So that was bird rock cafe. And, um, and after I'd had that restaurant for a little over a year, I opened a second restaurant.
1: Okay. So a couple of, questions coming into my mind uh that i think we can dive into uh you mentioned didn't do that you didn't do well working on a team and for other people uh but you realize that after opening a restaurant you're working for everybody so how did you evolve as a person how did you go from being somebody that didn't work well or didn't do well working for a few people to being somebody who was ex- who became ex- or extremely successful at working for everybody
0: well, I think for me, it had less to do with, the, to be perfectly honest, it had less to do with the restaurant industry um, and, and my evolution there. Although I learned that, you know, I learned that you couldn't, you know, you had to work well with others, you know, or your, or your staff wouldn't stay. You had to treat them well, or they simply wouldn't hang around and, and do what you needed to do. And you learned very quickly that you could no longer tell anybody to do anything. Okay. If you tell somebody to do anything, then, and they say, no, what are your options? Well, you're fired. Well, then who does the dishes? And so you get to a point, if you're smart, you stop telling people what to do and you start asking people to do things Mm. and you start involving them in the decision making process. And so that's just sort of the evolution that, that every good manager makes when they go from, from being a frontline worker to a manager, you know, to being a successful manager. So you learn that stuff, but emotionally, what changed me was the birth of my son in Mm. 97. How did that change you? You then, at some point in the growth of your child, there comes a time when you realize that other people have the opportunity to treat him the same way you treat everybody else's child. And once you do that, it changes your worldview. And, and that worldview change is, is, is remarkable. And so um, I always talk about, about parenthood as this amazing club that people who are in the club are telling you about. And they're also telling you if they're smart, that, that doesn't matter what they tell you, you're not going to understand until you actually join the club. And so becoming a parent and then becoming a, a, a parent, going growing to, to become a parent who understands that every person you're talking to is somebody else's child and deciding that that you're going to put that same energy out into the world that you hope people treat your child the way you're going to treat these other children of parents, regardless of their age. And I think that was the big thing for me. It, it, it changed me um, from, quite frankly, an, an arrogant know-it-all um, chef and restaurateur to, uh, change me back into a student, I think. And I started learning
1: again. That is powerful. I love what you just shared with us. And I mean, take us through, uh, really that evolution. I mean, was there a time, uh, where you just really pissed somebody off or you pissed off a lot of people that all left you and were you like, how did you really come to realize that it's about, uh, I'm trying to remember the the exact words. I think I, I wrote it down someplace on my, my notepad here, but it's about, um, basically, you have to, I think you said you had to stop asking people to do things or telling people to do things and start asking them to do things and involving them. Like, How did you come to realize that? Like, Was it through just trial and error or did you read it sometimes? Yeah, it's exactly
0: that. Trial and error. People will teach you what you need to know. You just listen to people. They will teach you exactly what <laughs> you need to know. And you would tell people to do something. And here's the thing. If you can boss people around all day long and if they depend on you for their job and they depend on, on the job for their money and their livelihood, they'll do it, but they won't like it. And so they won't do it to the best of their abilities. So until you pe- until you find a reason for people to support you wholeheartedly through their own self-interest and desire to be a part of your team or, or because they like you or what you stand for or, or those kind of things, until you learn to do that, you're always going to be in one form or another telling people what to do. And it's just, there's no possible long-term success in that. Um, if, if you have to, I remember years ago, I, I, had a, I had the owner of a company tell me that he was not going to give me um, what I asked him for because he had no leverage over me. And, and, and he put it very succinctly. He said, listen, like a lot of our other managers, I've co-signed their, for their mortgages for their homes. I haven't for you. You you're successful. You don't need money from me. You just there's nothing that I have that I have no leverage over you. And so I can't control you. And because I can't control you, I'm not putting you in charge of this. And it was just one of the most honest things I've ever been told by somebody. But what it illustrates is that his whole model was based on controlling people. Yeah, and if that's your control. model, eventually people will not let you control
1: them. Oh, man. And what I'm hearing from you is that you, you don't want to have control over people, but you want to give people a reason to do the thing you're asking them to do.
0: So it comes. You're absolutely right. And it comes down to our basic premise at Kitchens for Good. We're not giving anybody anything. So our students come to us, and on their very first day in class, I tell them, we're not giving you a damn thing. We are opening a door for you here. And if you're willing to walk through that door, I can tell you exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get hard work. You're going to have to show up on time. You're going to have to be respectful, and you're going to have to learn. And if you do that, what I guarantee you is that you'll get a good job out of it. We will find you a good job, and we will support you every step of the way, but there's nothing being given away here. You have to earn it, and every one of our students do that. And I think if you take that mindset that, you know, you have to take away the mindset that I am doing something for you, therefore, I'm up and you're down. Um, you have to you have to get to a place where listen we can all do better here and we can all do better if we work together and if we all recognize each other's value and when you get to that mindset then you understand that that you should allow people to do what they do best and not try to make them do what you think they should do for whatever reason, for money or for the organization or for your gratification or or any of those other external drivers. Let people do what they can do for their own betterment, give them that opportunity. And so you you sometimes find in your own organization that people who are doing really well in some area can actually do better in another area if you just get out of their way Mm. and let them make those changes. And then other times you find really talented people that are clearly in the wrong role. And so you need to either change their role help them change their role, give them the pathway to change their role. Or often, even if they're really talented, sometimes they simply need to go work somewhere else.
1: Mm. Uh, So how do you approach that? If you, if you have somebody who, uh, you know, I, I, I want to. I feel like we can have a really great conversation on this, but I want to. I want to save it for when we are talk when we're current time, Uh, because there's a lot of stuff I want to cover first. uh, Because I feel like there's just so much value that we can get out of you and your journey. And uh, you decided to close your restaurant in 2004, and you went to go work for Stone Brewery, heading food service. So why that change? Why why get out of uh, being your own boss to go work for somebody else?
0: Well. So, so these, so I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. One of those lessons was letting go. Okay, and so what actually happened with my, with my first restaurant was the, um, the city came along and did street repairs. So they had to replace water lines and they had to replace sewer lines, and so the city, in their infinite wisdom, tore up the street in front of my restaurant for 18 months um, to replace the water lines, and so I lost all my parking and so my business went in the toilet. But I I hung on, knowing that it eventually would be over, and my business would come back, and I'm stubborn anyway. Okay. And so I decided to hang on. They did that, and they paved the street back over, painted the stripes back on, and and a few weeks later came back and tore it all up again to do the sewer lines. Couldn't do them at the same time, apparently, because that's not the way the city operates. And again, in my infinite wisdom, losing a ton of money, borrowing money to stay open, I decided that I was going to hang on. And eventually... It got to the point where even I couldn't hang on or borrow enough money to keep it open, and I had to just turn it over to the landlord. I had to walk away from it mm. and go focus on my on my other restaurant. So, what was the lesson here? And so I learned a huge lesson there yeah. about about letting go, about being stubborn, um, and and so um, it was quite a setback for me, but a real important lesson I had that I had to learn, and so. Because I had borrowed money to keep that restaurant open, I sold my second restaurant to pay off my debts. And at that point, it just made economic sense to do that. Um, you know, it was just a business thing. And I, had, and I asked really smart business people about the best path forward. And they said, yes, clearly, your restaurant's doing real well. You can get top dollar for it. You can, you can sell it, settle most of your debts and then do whatever you want. You're still, you know, you've got a good reputation, all these other things. And so there were a few years there where I did um, consulting, where I where I opened restaurants for other people. I did catering on the side um, until I um, went to work for Stone Brewing Company. Okay. And I originally went to Stone Brewing Company as uh, they hired me as a catering manager. Um, and then uh, within a year, promoted me to senior manager for food services.
1: Okay. And um, was that always going to be a temporary job uh what was was it intentional so it kind of uh, it was an opportunity oh. that kind of fell into your lap but uh what was it that made you No, stone brewing company was the job that was the last job i was going to have it was the dream great job. company oh yeah this was
0: this was going to be amazing talk about the premier craft brewer in san diego an amazing company great ethos you know around sustainability mm. and and, um, and, uh, all of those kind of things. So that was going to be the last job ever. And then I was going to retire.
1: Okay. And, uh, are you, are you still affiliated with stone or is that gone or wh- why get away? No, from no, stone?
0: I, I don't, I don't work for stone. I left them four years ago to do, um, what became kitchens for good. So,
1: and, and go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, well, <laughs> sorry, uh, I was just going to ask uh, any big lessons from uh, that transition of being your own boss, of being a restaurant or owning two restaurants to uh, being a food service uh, or what was your exact head of food service? Was that the title? Exactly. I
0: was a senior manager for food service. At okay.
1: Stone. So what were the big lessons uh, from that part of your life that you can share with us as far as running or managing a, a team like that?
0: That you bring up the, the the most important word, and it is about a team. And so at one point, I had I don't know, um probably directly responsible for or indirectly responsible for a com- you know a, a hundred or more employees. and um, you learn that the, that one person can't do that. You can't be in charge of a hundred or two hundred or three hundred employees. Um, in any way, shape, or form, you know, substantially without a team to help you do that. And so um, I'd learned in my restaurants that I was only as strong as, as my team. I was only as strong as my chefs and my dishwashers and my wait staff and my managers. And so once I got to Stone, I, I very quickly set about um, putting together a team that could really just run the wheels off of, off of hospitality. And so I did that, and, and, and I was very successful doing that, uh in the short time I was there, the problem for me with 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 Stone was that um there was no purpose behind mm. the work. And okay. and so when you talk about being intentional, when you're being intentional about what you're doing for a living, you have to have a purpose. And that purpose has to be more than I'm making a paycheck and paying my bills. Because that doesn't feed your soul. That just feeds your body. And yeah. so when you become intentional um, about what you do for a living, you look at the purpose of, of what your output does to your community and to the world around you. And if you're just making money for, for people who don't really need any more money, to be perfectly honest, Then what's what's the use? I mean, what's because are you essential in any way? Are you making the world a better place in any way? Are you changing your community anyway? Is is there anything positive to say about you when you're when you're gone other than God, he was a great manager? Mm. i i really so want to what's
1: the point of that <laughs> i really want to dive into this more but uh i feel like we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the, the power of living purposefully uh when we when we talk about what you're doing now but i also want to dive into uh I, I can't just skim over the the importance of team building um and when i had you schedule a time to come on the show you actually even wrote down that team building was one of your strengths so t- let's dive deeper into that topic of team building before we go talk about purposeful living. And what is the secret to team building? How did you do it so well?
0: I think the secret to that and to many things is is, is communication. And so many managers want to use, um, their team members like, um, puzzle pieces. And they're going to plug them in here and they're going to plug them in there and, and they're going to do a good job with that and they're going to do a good job with that. And that can work um, if you understand your people really well. Well, how do you get to understand your people really well? Communication. So you just have to, you just have to learn to listen to people. Um, and, and if you really listen to people, they, you'll find out amazing things. People will tell you exactly who they are. So, we're talking about communication and, and um, how we communicate in our, in our organization, and, and what you can find out from people when you're truly listening to them. And so, when we have an interview in our organization for someone who is interested in coming on board, one of the most important questions we ask is what do you want to do? And how does what do you want to do contribute to the overall success of the organization? And so I think you flip the conversation from this is the position, of course, we need it filled, and do you have the skill sets for it, to a conversation about does this fit in your long term plans?
2: Does
0: mm. this feed your soul? Is this something that you're going to be willing to give us the very best of you? Because, again, it, it's that conversation about why are you doing these things? Because if you're just doing something for a paycheck, that's a very short you know, term um, goal that's only going to inspire you to work as hard as you need to work to earn the paycheck. Yeah. But if you're working for something larger than yourself and, and it's going to make your community or world a better place, I think it's much easier to to not only feel fulfilled um, by doing what you do, but give the very best of yourself.
1: Man, that is so powerful. Uh, just the, I mean, one thing I learned from talking to people like yourself, so many people like yourself is that our job as restaurant owners or managers or uh, whatever your title, if you're in a leader leadership position is to serve your team and the best way to serve them is to find out more about them. Uh, and that's what I'm hearing from you is just to, to learn as much as you can from the very beginning. So you can make sure you're putting these people in the right lane. Uh, And if they're in the right lane, they're going to be doing better and it's going to be better for you too. Um, And you're surrounding yourself with that incredible team. But what, what are some other team building um, elements aside from good communication and really learning more about the employee? Make yourself obsolete
0: as quickly as you can so hire those people that are as good as or better at what you do than you are and so that if because very early on my first restaurant was a cult of personality restaurant people came to see me talk to me take selfies with me you know it was always about me the the celebrity chef owner and that's only sustainable as long as you're willing to be that celebrity chef owner and, 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 and contribute to that paradigm every single day. If you want to build really successful organizations, then you need to take that cult of personality piece out of it. And you need to empower your teams to be the stars. And if you do that, then, then you know what, then you can have as many restaurants or as few as you want and you'll be successful as you, as you want. And it doesn't, always depend on your hands being on the on the steering wheel you can give other people the power um, empower them to drive the ship and you'll be amazed how far
1: you can go I think that's one of the biggest challenges for people are or- uh, when people fail or they, they can 't do well uh, it 's because they 're afraid to relieve or to, to re- relinquish that control they have to be doing everything they have to have their hands on everything uh, and you can only have your hands on so much and not burn out um, but like you said, I mean make yourself obsolete replace yourself as fast as possible it 's so powerful uh Anything else on the topic of, of team building before we move on to learn more about purposeful living and what you 're doing now?
0: No, I think that's it. I think that, that, that whole thing about really listening to your people and, and letting them do what they do well, that's, that's the
1: key to it. Okay. So uh, for the past couple of years, uh, you've been, your focus <laughs> has been Kitchen for Good as a founder and president. So why, why did you create this? Uh, let's really dive into that. Uh, you kind of d- spoke earlier about uh, what you're doing. Uh, just, let's start from there. Like, Why is it so important to, to live purposefully and how is this filling that need for you?
0: So goes back a few years, and actually a couple of decades, uh, friends of mine and I were looking at doing a a culinary um, uh, instruction school at a local foster facility. And it didn't work out for whatever reason, but that was always in the back of my head. And then I remember uh, um, a day again, um, a long time ago, um, at least 15 years ago, and I was in a local uh, health food market right in the morning when they were opening the doors. I had to pick up something for whatever restaurant i was at at the time and the guy was putting out the produce and he happened to be putting out the apples right then when i was there and he would take the apple out of a box and it had a little um paper wrapper on it and he would take the paper wrapper on it and he'd turn it and look at it and look at this perfectly shaped beautiful gorgeous apple and put it on the display and he had another cart where he was putting apples back in boxes If they had a bruise on them or if they had a cut on them or if they had an an oddly shaped appendage or just misshapen or whatever, all the reject apples were going into this other box. And I asked him, so what happens with those? And I knew the answer, but I asked anyway, and he looked around to make sure nobody was close by and he said, they go in the dumpster. And that's what happened to imperfect food um, years ago. Wow. And and so I had this idea in the back of my head all along that that um, listen, there are people out there who need the skill set that I have and there are things going on in this world where I have the skills to make a difference. Yeah. I can I could take so I walked out of that, that Whole Foods Market. It wasn't Whole Foods, it was a a Henry's, the local Henry's market um back in the day. And just had a brief thought, man, if you gave me those bruised apples, I'd make applesauce, apple pie, apple juice, apple butter, apple fritters, apple something. And I'd feed hungry people with it. Mm. And it was just like a flashing thought. And then I got in my car and went to work. And it stayed with me for for years. And so flash forward to I'm working at Stone. It's a great job, challenging, rewarding in, in, in a lot of ways. And my son is getting ready to go into seventh grade. And we've got a commute at that time before we moved. Our commute was probably about half an hour to school in the mornings until we moved closer to school. And so on those morning commutes, I'm just thinking of conversations about the new school that he's starting, how it's going to be and what he thinks about it. And those conversations evolved into a discussion about, well, what did he think about high school and college and life in general? And we talked a lot about the concept of right livelihood. In essence, what you do for a living should give back more to your community than it takes away. Mm. And as much as my job was wonderful and challenging and rewarding and all those other things, I wasn't changing the world in any significant manner whatsoever.
1: And did you call this rights? What was it? Rights? Right the- livelihood. Okay, right livelihood, and that's the idea of giving to the world more than you're taking from it. Exactly. Whatever
0: you do for the world, if you're if if you're a tortilla maker, you make the best tortillas possible, and you make them ethically and honestly, and you price them fairly, and you provide a service to people. You know, and you provide food for people and everything else, I think in your, in your small way, you're making your community better because you're doing things ethically and you're providing jobs and you're doing these other stuff. But at its very highest form, right livelihood would involve some piece of this thing that I do actually is going to leave the world better when I'm gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for some people, it's simply not possible to do that Through the work that they do, and so they volunteer after hours, or they, or they mentor, um, kids after, or they do other things to make the world a better place. And, and so I think that that whole concept of how you live your life, what your livelihood looks like, looks like, what you do with your time, where you spend your money, the companies you support with your dollars, all of those things go to making your life, um, this, that can be admired when you're gone, when you no longer have control over it. And so it was out of those conversations with my son that made me realize that I was not living the highest iteration of my life. I was not using my skills to their utmost. I was not contributing to the world in a way that was really going to make any long-term lasting change in the world for the
1: better so it was that conversation and, with your son that really kind of pushed you over the edge to 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 live purposefully again um and how did you start to make that happen how did you get the ball rolling on that
0: <laughs> you you jump off the cliff is what you do, or at least that, that's me and that's sort of my personality is i don't tend to do things halfway and so it literally came down to um uh, a meeting with with my boss at at Stone and a conversation, and then a meeting with HR the next day, and cleaning out my desk the day after that, and starting working on what became Kitchens for Good um, the following day. So over the course of a week, um, but this had been, you know, it it sounds like I I decided to do this in four days. The reality was is that this, for for a few months at when I was at Stone, I was unhappy. And it had nothing to do with the job or anything else. It was, it was the, the standard that I was trying to hold myself to. And, and so the job at Stone was a fantastic job with a fantastic company. Wasn't fulfilling my purpose. And as long as you're doing something that isn't going to fulfill your purpose, you're never going to be as happy as you can be. And in some cases, like I was, you're going to be bitterly unhappy. And it has nothing to do with the externals around you as much as it has to do with, are you feeding that thing that needs to be fed inside you? And, and always in my life, I have always needed to, to help others. It's just been a part of who I am. Yeah. And I wasn't doing that. I mean. And it- that was the big impetus over the course of a few months that came down to the conversation that had me pack up my, my desk and start working on on. Uh, what became Kitchens for
1: Good. Man, there's so much value to take from this conversation. And I think one thing just from this short part of the conversation is know what drives you, know what you need, know what your higher purpose in life is, uh, feed it, but just start. Uh, you have to take action. If, you, if you're not happy, uh, nobody but you can can put yourself in that place of happiness, but you have to start, you have to jump off the cliff, like cliff, like you said, uh, and until you do, y- you won't get there. Uh, y- you have to take that action. So important. And, uh, let's really dive into, or do you want to reflect on anything I just shared just then? Or
0: No, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and be very mindful of how you jump off the cliff. It's not possible for everyone to, to quit their job and and you know take a take a leap of faith that something's going to work out. So you may have to do the side hustle. And I love that terminology, side hustle. So you do what you do for a living, but your side hustle is helping kids, you know, with whatever skills that you you got. Or your side hustle is is. Is helping women in Guatemala make bags that they can sell, you know, um, and support themselves. And so sometimes you have to do what what feeds you as a side hustle until you can make your side hustle be your, the thing you do for a yes. living. Um, yes, it, so I wouldn't advise anybody to do what I did. And jump <laughs> off the cliff.
1: Uh, it's so true, and you know, like I, I, I'm an example of that too. Like I did restaurant unstoppable for three years before I decided six months ago to go full time. Um, but I had to, you know, slowly accelerate into it. And I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week regularly. Uh, but when you, when you do what you love, uh, that side hustle, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and it's so rewarding to do work that helps other people. Uh, but yeah, you've slowly got to accelerate into it, uh, because you don't, you don't want to fail, um, and if you don't have the money coming in, uh, then it, it won't be possible, or the funds, or whatever. But yeah, absolutely, accelerate into it, and let's really start diving deeper into what you got going on now with kitchens for good. And um, one of the things that I love about what you're doing is uh, y- you choose to help people uh, that might not be uh, your uh, top resume. <laughs> I guess is a good way to put it. People who uh, struggle uh, in the work place um and one of the pieces of of advice that we always get on the show is you know you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with or you 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 have to hire those a players um but you're choosing to go to kids who uh might not be seen as an a player uh what do you feel about that statement of you know you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with
0: well i think it's absolutely true um and so you under understand that we go through a rigorous Vetting process for our students. Every class of 15, our classes are 15 students strong, more, you know, give or take a couple, and we get 60 plus applications for every class. And so, and those 60 plus applications come to us pre screened by partner agencies. And so the Department of Corrections or different foster youth organizations um, have all pre screened these. And so we're getting the, the people that are really qualified for our program. And then we're putting through them a, a rigorous qualification um, um, process that gives us the very best. And what we mean by very best is those people with the desire to be successful.
2: Okay. And
0: it really boils down to that. And not only just successful. So if someone comes to us and says, oh, yeah, all my life I've wanted to be a DJ. And if I learn to cook and be a cook then that's going to be a great job to support me while I pursue my dreams of being a DJ. <laughs> they don't get in the program. We want people that want to cook. Mm. We want people that want to thrive in the kitchen because that's who we're training. Now, if I had been an aerospace engineer, we might be having a wholly different kind of program. But since I've been a cook and, and, and in hospitality all my life, I know what it takes to make successful restaurant and hotel employees. And so it's really important to understand about our program is that once you get into the, into the program, it's not about knife skills. It's about knife skills and life skills. And so that double-sided approach that we take to, to making our um, students successful is, is very much um, two-pronged. So we teach you the skills necessary in the kitchen so that you have a basic understanding of the kitchen and a certain level of skills. It's not enough, though, to be successful because those will get you a job. What we also do is we teach you the skills to keep the job. So we teach you conflict resolution. We teach you the importance of showing up on time. Teach you how to write a good resume. Teach you how to be respectful. Teach you how to follow orders in the kitchen. How to work as a part of a team in the kitchen. And all of those things that make, you know, when I talk to chefs and restaurateurs, are the things that they really want. Because so I ask them all the time. I go, listen, do you want me to send you somebody really talented that you can just drop into your line, you know, and, and they'll work? Or do you want me to send somebody with a great attitude who'll do anything you ask? And they always say, send me the one with the attitude, with a great attitude that'll do anything I ask them to. I'll train them to be what I want them to be. And so we take that very seriously. And so our team in our culinary program very much focus on on both sides of the equation all the time.
1: Man, uh, it all starts with what you said, uh, just looking for that desire. Do they have a desire to learn? Do they want to be there doing whatever it is that you can have them or teach them what to do? Uh, That desire is so important. And... uh, Man, there's so many things we can talk about, and only so much time. Uh, what do you want to talk about? What's one thing that you think we haven't spoken about yet uh, that can really add value as far as you know the topic to what you're doing and uh, how we can learn from what you're doing?
0: Well, I think one of the most important things, Eric, that we do is 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 based on sustainability. So there are so many wonderful nonprofits doing very important work, and there is an inherent flaw in the nonprofit model in that most of them are are not sustainable other than grants and donations. And in our model, sustainability is built in from day one. And so in in our model, we earn most of our budget through the work that we do. So when I talk about sustainability, um, the students are in class. They're actually using donated food to make meals for the hungry. So we do hunger relief. And for for most of our students, it's the first time they've ever been the one giving back to the community. Real important for them to do that and to see their own worth and to see that the value that they can create and con- contribute. As an organization, what's really important for me is that I'm in charge of sustainability. And so my chief job is earned revenue. And so we have a catering and events company that will do over 400 events this year and earn $1.4 million for our organization. And we do senior meal contracts. We'll do a quarter of a million dollars worth of senior meal contracts. We use locally sourced scratched cooked uh, meals to feed seniors in three of our communities here in San Diego. And I'm always on the lookout for other business opportunities that fit with what we're doing. Business opportunities around hunger relief, food rescue, um, culinary training, those kind of things. So my job in our organization is to drive revenue to our organization so that we only have to go out and, and get 30% of our budget through grants and donations. And that 70% that we earn, we hope to grow that every year so that eventually in a perfect world, we don't have to depend on any donations
1: to do what we do. Wow, that's incredible. And what is your, your plan? Like what, what, where do you want to take this? Like what is the next step for you?
0: World domination. <laughs> uh,
1: that's awesome. Um... So seriously,
0: you know we <laughs> talked earlier about the S on kitchens. So we we know that the population that we serve, you know, former felons, youth aging out of foster care, anyone with a barrier to employment, also has barriers in terms of their ability to get places, particularly in San Diego, with the the really um, insufficient public transit system we have here. We have to be in those neighborhoods that need us. And so we're down in Southeast San Diego. That's where our first kitchen is. We're trying to secure, we're an escrow on a facility in San Marcos up in North County inland to do a second kitchen and culinary training facility. We also would love someday to be on the coast up in North County and Oceanside and somewhere central in San Diego. So we know that that we need to be in those communities of need to be serving the people that, that need us.
1: Mm -hmm. and how are you using story uh to to, you know really drive this mission forward because you had mentioned storytelling is something that uh you could really speak to so how does that tie into everything
0: excellent question we had unfortunately a long search for the right kitchen because i wasn't just going to rent a kitchen and then have it cost money so we found a kitchen that had a revenue stream attached to it with a catering and events company. That was the first kitchen. And so for me, the two years it took me to find the perfect kitchen, my real option at that time was to just tell our story. You know, talk about what we hope to do, enlist people in our cause, get them on board uh, to support us and, and, and really more support our, our idea and help us fine tune you know, the concept in that before we ever got into our first kitchen. When we got into our first kitchen, we hit the ground running. We had connections with um, the agencies that we needed to know and with the supporters in the community that we were going to need to help us get this thing going. And so you never know why you're telling your story to someone. You just always have to be ready to have that conversation. I have had so much coffee in the last four years, just telling our story. And I think it's one of the reasons that we've um, been so successful so quickly.
1: Why is storytelling so impactful? What does it do? I think that it touches
0: people in a place that, that can only be done by storytelling, by that sort of um, willingness to be vulnerable, that authentic expression of your desires and a willingness to, one When you're telling your story, to also listen to the other person's story, so that is such a very basic human connection. I mean it takes us all the way back to the days when when we were in caves, um, you know cooking meat over a fire it's it's I think it's a very basic um, nature of human beings, and it's certainly a part of of my upbringing um, on a reservation. The oral tradition in in Native American. Um, communities is very, very strong. And so I think that in most, um, in, in most communities, in, in, in most cultures, there's a very strong storytelling um, sort of history that is
1: important. Absolutely. And man, this has been a blast up to this point. Um, usually before going to break, I have my guests share a failure. Uh, I, I feel like you kind of already went there with telling us about not getting out uh, sooner with your with your locations, kind of riding it out too long. Um, do you want to just dive into that real quick again? Uh, you already told the story, but uh, in that experience, like, what was your biggest mistake?
0: It really was not recognizing that that um, it was not being so emotionally connected to that location and to the idea of what it was and not recognizing what it had become. And and in all honesty, what it had become was this huge financial drain on, on, on me and on, on our organization and spending too much of my energy and thought on how, on what it could be again. And while certainly you want to do the things that you need to do to be successful in whatever the situation is, there are times when you've got to just recognize that, listen, this is done. Mm. And it could maybe be something at some point in the future, but there's no way to tell what that is or when that is. And right now, your reality right now is this, and you have to deal with this reality right now, and you have to stop dreaming about what it might be at some point in the future. And if you do that, if you're honest, it comes down to honesty. If you're really honest with yourself, man, I would have walked away from that thing after about six months.
1: Yeah. So what's the rule of thumb that you can leave with us uh, if, if we see ourselves maybe getting into a, a similar situation? What's like the rule of thumb that we, we need to remember that you can share with us?
0: All too often when you talk about people like us, Eric, who are at, who are at the top, you're, you're, the, you're the head manager, you're the owner, you know, you're know, you the executive chef, you're the restaurateur, I think that what we, we sometimes fail to do is ask for help.
2: Mm.
0: Talk to people smarter than we are. Get advice. Get someone who's, who's not connected emotionally to whatever your issue is to just walk you through it. And and hopefully that can, can open your eyes, or at the very least, it can confirm your path and go, hell yeah, stick with this. You're on the right path. This is going to work out. Or, oh my God, what are you doing? Get out, run away. Mm. And and I think doing that, being willing it all the time, and that's what I found when I was a restaurateur, is that I was so busy working in my restaurants and so busy running everything that I didn't take the time to go often enough and talk to people who had more experience than I did And and who could really have given me some good advice at that time. And the worst things are is when people tend to, you know, sort of what I call turtle is pull their heads in and it's the worst possible thing you can do.
1: Beautiful stuff. Great advice. And we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn That never ends. But what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can Select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month. And as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant's unstoppable listeners, you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar. Again, that's restaurantsowner.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Chuck, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
0: Uh, resilience. I think I'm really, I'm really, um, able to, to, um, withstand a lot of pressure and, and, uh, and bounce back. Yeah, that's it. I think.
1: What is your biggest weakness?
0: What I spoke about earlier, all too often, I simply don't, um, ask for as much help as I should try to go up my own, try to John Wayne it.
1: All right. So what is one piece of advice you have for leading others?
0: Oh, it's that thing I said earlier about you're really not leading. If you're really good at this stuff, um, it's less about leading and, and it's more about, um, making these amazing teams that you're part of.
1: What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process?
0: What do you want to do? And that's my most important question is what do you want to do? They may be applying for a position, but they may be applying for a position because they need money or they need this or that and the other thing. So if you ask them, you really get a truthful answer about what they want to do. You'll know very quickly if they're a fit for your organization.
1: That is so powerful, and uh, man, it's it's just goes back to that whole idea: is we're we exist to serve other people. We need to put them in the right lane, and we need to help them get to wherever they're going. Uh, you need to know what their end of mind is. Uh, so powerful. Uh, what current challenges are you dealing with right now? Current
0: challenges. Hmm. I think most of my challenges are internally generated. And so the challenges I have are typically, am I doing enough? Am I, am, I, am I working hard enough? And so for a lot of people like me, entrepreneurs, um, we just don't know when to stop. And so there's a voice inside me all the time. <laughs> Excuse me. There's a voice inside me all the time questioning whether I'm working hard enough. And, and so that's my biggest challenge.
1: And how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you talk yourself off that cliff and like kind of relax a little bit?
0: You be honest about it with other people. So I'm really good about work life balance now. I I really have no problem there. And so I recognize that little voice for who he is and what he is. He's the critic inside me, you know, that says that I could be better, be more, be more successful, have more money, drive a better car, all that kind of stuff. And and really he's talking about all the bullshit that doesn't matter. Mm. None of that stuff matters. You know, what matters is am I happy right now? Yeah, never been happier in my life.
1: So you're saying the trick to uh, this conversation you you have with yourself is asking yourself what makes me happy, what really matters.
0: Yeah, it really does. And And recognizing the truth around that you know because it can really be a powerful thing when you see the, you know the the really nice house and the really nice car and and because that's what advertising in America wants you to believe that you have to have those things to be happy mm-hmm. and so you have to ignore those external forces on you and listen to that quiet small voice inside you mm. that says this is enough this is yeah. enough for me
1: you know it's it's something i've recently started practicing as meditating and it's so powerful it just totally you take that time to listen to yourself to get quiet and to really get centered and to just reconnect with what is important with you it keeps you on track keeps you on center line it's so powerful uh is that, is that something you practice It is.
0: And, and you just nailed it. It's something you do for yourself. Mm. And while it may make you a better person and a better manager and everything else, the first thing about meditation is you do it for yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Beautiful stuff. And what is one thing besides food your restaurants do or your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants?
0: Everybody talks about it all the time. It's the quality of our people. You walk into our catering and events or our offices for Kitchens for Good or back in the kitchen areas. And, and when people walk out, they're going, it's amazing. Everybody is so nice, and they're so friendly, and they're just, and it's just, they, they gush about our people, and I think that that's what we do as well as anybody else, is our people are are really amazing.
1: Yeah, and you know one of the things like it, it, the people that you have working for you are people who are stereotypes, mm-hmm. uh, people who others might not hire uh, because you know, and I don't want to make any assumptions, um, but it seems that way. But yet, you still have all these incredible people saying how awesome they are. Why are you taking these people that you know might struggle elsewhere, and how what are you doing that? is bringing out this greatness in them.
0: You ever been given a second chance? All anybody really wants or needs is a second chance. And sometimes quite honestly, a third chance I've had them in my life far too many times. And I think that if you recognize that, that everybody deserves a second chance and, and, and you offer it to them, you will see that people will take advantage of that to, to make wonderful successes out of their lives.
1: And how, how do you go about doing that? giving somebody a second chance? Is there a way to do it?
0: Well, for me, I think everybody has the opportunity to do something for someone else in their life. And you really have to look at your own skill set. And so for me, it was really clear, this model of hospitality industry, culinary job training, it just made perfect sense because I could use my skills to create this platform where we could give people a a second chance. Um, But a second chance is really what I said earlier. It's about opening that door. Mm. people have to walk through it they have to take the initiative to walk through that that open door and once they do that I mean the, just the sky's the limit
1: yeah and I don't you know it, it really it sounds like at the end of the day you're, you're just simply caring and, and caring is so powerful and you had mentioned earlier um that you had this boss that you were working for and he said that he had nothing over you uh he had no control over you he had no leverage over you um but when you give people your care uh, then, I mean, I don't want you to think of it this way. If you're listening to this, like you shouldn't be trying to, uh, help people. So you have something over them, but (laughs) when you are there for people and you do care for people, they don't forget that. And that is leverage that you have over them. Um, but don't do it in a, (laughs) um, a way that's, I guess, uh,
0: well it's less i'll I'll be honest what it is 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 it's less leverage over them and it's more connection to them
1: yeah but that's leverage though that that, you know that's still leverage um but i don't i I like the way i like i'm right there with you like you want to connect people you want to care for them you want to do it out of the the, the, you know just the the kindness of your heart uh but you know back of that all there is that idea is that you know they won't forget that and they're going to be there for you um when you need them uh Oh, yeah, our students
0: come back and work for us all the time. Yeah. Our graduates come back and, and volunteer in the, to, to help us make meals for the hungry. Or they, and when we need staff for a big event, they come back and work with us all the time. No, they don't forget. You're right. Mm,
1: awesome. Um, and, uh, what, because, uh, because
0: of that authentic connection. Beautiful.
1: What is one book we must read to become a better person or a restaurant owner?
0: It's good to great. It's the Bible of how to, how to go from, from, from mediocre to fantastic. Um, yeah, good to great.
1: What's the biggest lesson from that book that you want to share with us?
0: Um, it's about what you just said. It's about authentic leadership, you know, not, and, and, and there's, it's so different from cult of personality. You know, you look at, at movie stars for the most part, um, that's a cult of personality, but then you look at really great actors and and that's that's authentic and and so i think that that yeah that's that's what you learn is authenticity in uh, about what real
1: leadership means um, is what i took from that book awesome and what is one piece of technology uh you are currently leveraging in your operation today that's having an incredible influence
0: well it's think it's just, you know, Hey, listen, I remember, uh, you know, I'm old enough. I've been doing this long enough to before cell phones. And so I think that our cell phones are, are these amazing connection devices if used properly. Okay. You know, they can be great time wasters too, but if you use it properly as, as a connection tool, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really basic to our operation.
1: Get specific. What's one app that you're using on your cell phone. That's really having an influence.
0: For us, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, we're all on, on Google, and so we're all in, 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 uh, in Google Apps, and, and we share everything through Google Docs. And so I think that that's really important. And so we have the ability, and you see it every, every Tuesday morning because we have our team leader meeting Tuesday mornings. You can see everybody on our team has been um, in Google Docs making changes to the agenda for the day and so it's not me making an agenda sending it out to somebody everybody is working on the same document and putting in their own information yeah and a, that shared responsibility is amazing
1: yeah it's a living document i mean you can be in yeah. there working on it somebody else can also be in there working on it multiple people can be working on the same document at the same time you can see who wrote what uh it, it i don't if you're still using word i feel like it's so outdated um and just having that incredible uh you know, tool, just have everybody in the same spot communicating on the same document uh, is so streamlined, uh, so effective. It's so powerful. If you're not using Google docs yet, or just Google for your business, like I, I feel like that's just, it's free too. That's the other thing. Um, yeah, God bless. <laughs> it's free. So, uh, get on that beautiful stuff. Anything else you're leveraging? That's really We use a bunch of different kinds of software in, in our operation. You know, we
0: use a, a catering management software. We use a donor management software. We use a, a nutritional analysis software. So we can use you a share bunch th- of different things for, for th- a different part of it. So we use Salesforce for to manage our our donor database. Okay. Um, and we're looking to um, forward to the day when we can put a lot more of the things we do on Salesforce, you know, in terms of our catering operation. Um then we use other other um softwares to manage different parts of the organization.
1: What are you using for uh catering? Is it cateries?
0: Yeah, we use cateries in in, in catering department and we use uh uh Chef Tech for nutritional analysis and inventory. Okay. Beautiful.
1: I'll have those links in the show notes. This is episode 334. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 334 for a link to those resources and to good to great the book that was recommended. And with all the knowledge you have now, Chuck, if you could go back in time and give your past self one piece of business advice, what would it be?
0: Oh, God, don't sweat the small stuff and everything is the small stuff.
1: Uh, Don't sweat the small stuff. And everything is a small stuff. So don't sweat everything.
0: Right. Just relax. I was so wound up and so driven when I was younger. Yeah, just just relax. You know what? At at 19 and 23 and 28, you can't see what we can see. I'm in my 60s. And you can't see that, you know what? Those decisions that you make, eh, it was a really big deal at the time probably not going to be such a big deal 30, 40 years from now.
1: Yeah. And we get so in our own heads. It's one thing that humans just really struggle with is this constant fear of everything around us. Uh, we get so worked up, so worried over nothing and just don't sweat it. It's all in your head. Uh, relax, uh, because you're creating your own stress. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. What is one question you think should have been added to this interview?
2: Oh,
0: I suppose it would have to have something to do with, um, with, with love in some way. Because one of the things I try to remember all the time is that it doesn't matter what the question is, but the answer has to contain love in some form. And so if you remember that, if, if you remember that, that your answer needs to be about love, okay, whatever it is, do we need to discipline this employee? Yes, we do. That thing they did was wrong, and there needs to be, how do we do it with love? And and out of that, so if you look at everything through that lens, that that, that the answer has to be about love and about adding more love to the world and, and not taking it away, if, if you can do that, then what you learn is, is that you learn to ask the right questions mm. because the only way you're going to get the right answers is by asking the right questions. And that's a rip off from, uh, from CBS morning, um, news that, uh, that to get to, to the right answers, you need to ask the right questions. And so if you understand that love is the ultimate goal in this stuff, then, then you learn to ask questions that are going to lead you in that direction. I love
1: it. Beautiful stuff. And this has been a blast. You've been so valuable as a guest mentor. We wrap up every episode by having our guests call somebody out. So who's somebody you admire in the industry? Somebody that uh, you think would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today?
0: Oh, my God. I can give you what. Uh, he's right at top of my mind. He's a member of our board of directors. He's been a friend of mine for years, and he's an amazing person and and business owner. His name is Sean Parr, P A R R. Sean and Parr. Is, Parr, and he is the the founder. His actual title is title is governor <laughs> of a company called Bulldog Drummond.
1: Sean Parr, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And Chuck, let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you and your people if we want to maybe come uh, join your team or help out in any way? What's the best way for us to connect?
0: It's all at kitchensforgood.org. And that's all spelled out. Kitchens, o r g. And on there, you'll find uh, links to our catering if you want us to cater an event for you. You'll find volunteer opportunities. You can always donate money. We take money too. So anything that you want to do can be found through our website.
1: Kitchenforgood.org. I'll have that link in the show notes as well. Head over to restaurant. Kitchens with an S. Kitchens with an S. Kitchens for Good. Got it. Link will be in the show notes. Head over to slash 334 to find the links right there. And Chuck, thanks again so much for joining us. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Man, I love making an example of incredible people. Chuck, man, you crushed it today. Thank you so much for joining us and just being a positive influence and so many great nuggets to take away from this interview. And I'm just riffing here. Just the idea of living purposefully, having intention, doing everything for a reason and not just because it's what you have to do. Like, have, have a course and stick to it and have a reason to do what you do. Have that purpose, um, have that mission. And when you, when you show up every day to serve that mission, uh, and if that mission is something that makes other people feel good, uh, to be a part of, uh, and if it makes the world a better place, if you're, if you're adding to the world more than you're taking away from the world, imagine the world we would live in. If everyone had that mentality, um, and it's going to be so much easier to get people on your team to have people to give people a reason to work for you, not just because uh, you can control them because you have something over them, but because they want to contribute to something that's truly special. Uh, that's what I was hearing from check today and um, so much more just the power of a team, the power of knowing uh, what everybody on your team wants in life and how you can get them there. So many great things in today's conversation. You guys heard it. I heard it. It's all there beautiful stuff. And uh, sorry for only one episode last week, guys. I was in Chicago um, playing catch-up and I I can't wait. These uh, next couple of months are going to be intense. I'm just going to hit it hard. Kind of just to add on to what Chuck was saying, focus on what matters. And recently, um, because of the meditating I've been doing, because of the self-reflection I've been doing, I know what matters for me is just to show up every day and to record great episodes uh and just to to really go deep on the work i'm doing uh and to be impactful uh doing a few things really well so uh i'm gonna cut down the distraction um i'm gonna start really just focusing on doing nothing but the podcast uh and just going deep with it and trying to improve it and just trying to connect with as many amazing people as possible and making an example out of a, as many amazing restaurant people as possible. It's going to be a blast. So I really hope to take this thing to the next level in the next couple of months. And uh, if you guys feel like I'm not doing it, let me know. Tell me what I can do to make this show better. Uh, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, social media, Eric ericcacciatore on Instagram and Twitter and slash restaurantsunstoppable on Facebook. Uh, And set up those one-on-one chats. A lot of people send me emails um, and they ask me questions, uh, recommendations, books. Honestly, I I love those one-on-one chats. I'll give you 10, 15 minutes. Uh, I feel like I can help you way better when I can talk to you and really get at what you're looking for. It's just an easier way for me to communicate. So uh, if you want to chat... I'll, I'll, I'll do it any way you want to, but if you really want to get the most value out of our connection, uh, set up that free 15-minute one-on-one chat. Um, that's how I prefer to communicate. So I'll have uh, – just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash one-on-one. There's also links all over the place uh, at the website. So, All right, guys. I think that's it for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.